0: We're in 1 Samuel 20. So here's where we're at in Samuel. David now has the Midas touch. Everything he does, everything that he is about is being blessed by God. Saul has a Murphy touch. Everything turns to cow manure for him. They're going in opposite directions One's rising up, being brought up by God. The other one has been rejected and is falling. And you're starting to see his life come undone. And you see that more and more, he's getting more and more crazy and insane, right? So we've already saw that David is playing music for Saul. Playing his harp, trying to soothe the evil that's, gestating inside of him. And then all of a sudden, Saul picks up a spear and throws it at David and tries to pin him to the wall. I'm sure David said, hey, next time, if you don't like the song, just say something. (laughs) All right, I'll change, no problem. (laughs) So he has to run, he's hiding, and he goes and he hides in this town we saw last week called Naoth. And God protects him there. How does God protect him there? Is it lightning bolts? Is it a plague? No. It's as Saul is sending his assassins down to take out David. They get to Naoth, and the moment they get there, God's spirit falls on them, and he turns them into prophets. And so then Saul sends more assassins, and the moment they get to Naoth, God's spirit falls on them and turns them into prophets. And Saul sends more assassins and God's spirit falls on them and turns them into prophets. And finally, like any leader would say, if you want a job done, you gotta do it. Saul heads down there and God's spirit hits him and he begins to prophesy. And for some reason, he takes off all of his clothes and lays on the ground all night. How cool is that? Right? Like God isn't killing them for doing that. God is changing them into something else. How brilliant is that? I love that. And these times that we're in right now for David, I call them the in-between times and their preparation. He's been called, chapter 16. He's been told you're king, but the coronation is not gonna come until 2 Samuel. So it's the in-between time and it's preparation for him. And preparation in-between times are so important. I remember a bunch of years ago when Edgewater had a softball team. Me and a buddy were, uh, before a game, we're just goofing around and we're you know, dropping balls and not throwing well and just, we're just playing around. And this guy walks by and he said, what are you guys doing? And I said, oh, we're just practicing for our game. And he said, you're gonna play just like you practice, and then walks off. I was like, ooh, Coach Yoda, ooh, okay, buddy. (laughs) Maybe that's why I'm doing so terrible, hmm. Right, it's practice right now, David, but it's how you're actually gonna play. I sat with a guy that was trying to figure out life, and I said, you know what life is like? January 1st, you're given 365 bricks, and each day you are setting a brick Doesn't seem like much, but you're setting a brick. And the next day, you're setting the next brick. And if you set your bricks well for the whole year, next year when you start the next line, man, you got a strong foundation. You got good cement. you're, You're setting on good, strong bricks. But if the last time around, you didn't use good cement or you put them in crooked or you put them in wrong, you got all this work to undo what you did last year and it takes all this extra effort and it's an obstacle for you every day put your brick in well it's practice it's prep right now and it matters what i'm doing today the little things i'm doing matter david's learning that lesson he's learning it so we're gonna jump in as david keeps learning about hey it matters the in-between time between the call and the coronation really matters verse one Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, this is Saul's son Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him. Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, There is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do it for you. Why does David leave Naoth? Verse 1. Like he's in Naoth and the assassin comes and They're turned into prophets and more assassins come and they're turned into, right? It just keeps happening, keeps happening and happening. Saul comes, he's turned into a prophet, right? Like, wow, why would he leave that great place of protection? Because he wants to reconcile. I love that about David. He could have stayed where it was cozy and easy. He could have stayed where it was safe but he said, no. No, I'm going to risk everything because I want reconciliation." It's Romans 12:18, "With all that lies within you, as much as is possible, be at peace with all people." It's Hebrews chapter 12:14 and 15. "Hey, believer, pursue after peace, lest there be a root of bitterness that grows in your heart and defiles you. He wanted reconciliation. Now, knowing David's character, I think he'd already forgiven Saul. Hey, I forgave him. I'm just, water under the bridge, I'm going. But there is a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is personal. It's just something I decide inside me. That I'm not going to play the tape anymore. I'm not going to try to get that guy in my head anymore. I'm not letting him have free rent in my head anymore. I'm forgiving him. I'm just, I'm done with it, right? That's forgiveness. It's for you. They may not even know you forgive. him, doesn't matter. Forgiveness is for me. Reconciliation, though, takes two. It's interpersonal. And it's not so much for the self. Reconciliation is for community. Do you know that? Because of Saul and David's problem, it's affecting a whole community. It's affecting the city of Naoth. It's affecting all these assassins coming down. It's affecting Micah, his wife, Saul's daughter. It's affecting Jonathan, his friend, Saul's son, right? Reconciliation is not just for you anymore. Reconciliation is for community. Like, ah, I don't want any more people sucked into this problem. So David leaves comfort to say, I want to try my best to reconcile with a man that wants to kill me. And so he tells Jonathan this, hey, your dad wants to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, no, come on. He's not doing that. Now, part of it could be Jonathan just thinks David's emotional. And I think David is a very emotional guy. We'll see more and more as we learn of him. He's a very emotional guy. You read the Psalms, like. The Psalms, David is almost manic in the Psalms. He'll start out a Psalm like, ah, everything's against me. God hates me. Things are terrible. And then the end of that same Psalm, like three chapter, three verses later is, oh, don't worry, be happy. You're like, what in the world? <laughs> right? He's just, he's an emotional guy. Not that emotions are bad at all. They're good. They're a gift from God. And so Jonathan may know that. So he's like, hey bro, come on, calm down. But I also think Jonathan loves his dad. And Jonathan has chosen to see the best in his dad. Chosen to say, no, my dad would not do that. And I sure admire that about Jonathan. Choosing to see the best about his dad. I wrote something down that Billy Graham said early in his ministry. And he said he made a decision in ministry that he would believe the best about people until they absolutely proved him wrong. I want that same mentality. I don't wanna believe all the bad stuff. I wanna continue to say, no, I'm gonna believe the best about this person until they absolutely prove me wrong. And I think that's what Jonathan thought about his dad. So Jonathan begins with faith with David, like, come on, bro, no, 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 no. And David comes back, no, your dad wants to kill me. And then so Jonathan says, okay, what do you want me to do? That's what I do all the time with people. They'll come in for counseling. I'll give them for faith in the beginning. Okay, hey, man, let's get, Lord, faith. And then if it's, ah, I say, okay, what would you want me to do? Real practical. So David now says, here's what I want you to do. I call this the test. Verse five. So David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king but let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of Yahweh with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, be, far be it from you. If I knew that it was deemed by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field. I call this the test. There was a feast coming. Do you know that in the Old Testament, there were tons of feasts for the people to enjoy? Let me read for you Numbers chapter 28, verse 11. At the beginning of your months, you shall offer a burnt sacrifice to Yahweh, two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish, three-tenths of an epaw of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil for each bull, and two-tenths of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil for one ram, and a tenth of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for every lamb, For a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to Yahweh, their drink offering shall be half a hen of wine for a bull, a third of a hen for a ram, and a quarter of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. Also one male goat for a sin offering to Yahweh. It shall be offered beside the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. First day of every month, God said, have a party. Isn't that cool? Three times a year, God says to the people, and you're not just gonna do this in your own town. Three times a year, you get your family together, dad. You pack up and you head down to Jerusalem with the entire nation and you're there for a week just enjoying yourself. It's in the law. It is a command of God. It's like God saying, you go party or I'm gonna kill you, right? (laughs) Right? That's how serious he is. Why? Because God is the author of joy. Satan wants to constantly steal that and make it seem like God is a cosmic killjoy. But if you carefully read Scripture, God is the author of joy. Hey, every new every month on the first of the month, have a big party. Invite everybody over. Enjoy some good food. There's wine involved. I'm not a drinker, but okay. There's wine involved, right? It's incredible. God is the author of joy. And then David says this, when you're at this feast that I'm supposed to be at, this big party, Jonathan, tell a lie for me. Jonathan is one of the most noble characters in the entire Bible. And now his best friend, David, is saying, hey, Lie for me. This is one of those little moments you're reading David's story and you realize, yeah, he's not ready to be king yet. There's still preparation for David, for him to get mature enough to be king. And it's finally in 1 Samuel chapter 30 where some really hard things happen to David. His entire crew turns on him and David finally, it says, encourages himself in the Lord. Okay, you got it now. Now you're ready. Right now he's not. Hey, would you lie for me? Please. When you lie, what it means is you really don't trust God. David, you're not really trusting God. He just protected you in Naoth. Every person came down there, just you know, ends up being a prophet. They can't get at you. Their hearts are changed in some kind of a way. Saul comes down, he, naked all. Like, his yard is full of naked people that are prophets. Like, come on, I got you, bro. But now, he's lost his trust, his trust in God. And he asked his good friend to lie to him, for him. Warren Weir'sby, one of the greats of the past generation, great Bible teacher, he said this quote, it's one of those quotes that I've written down. If God puts something in my hand, without first doing something in my heart, my character will lag behind my achievements And that is the surest way to ruin. Sometimes God has to wait so that our character catches up with our coronation. That's where David's at right now. And you look at the greats in the Bible, all of them had a waiting period. Moses thought he was ready at 38, God had to put him in the desert for 40 years until his heart caught up. Joseph thought he was ready when he was telling his parents the dreams. He had to be a slave and in prison for 20 years before his heart caught up. David, he's got 15 years before his heart catches up. You can go throughout scripture. There's almost always the apostle Paul had to go to the deserts of Arabia in order to get caught up, right? It's not a bad thing. If you feel like, man, God's got a call on my life, what's, he, what's, what's the holdup? Where's the coronation? When's it my time to jump in? Well, start passing the tests. Right? I have never, ever, ever regretted doing what is right. Not one time. I've never regretted what, doing what is right. But man, I have a journal full of that was stupid. You start passing the tests. You start doing what's right. You're not asking people to lie for you. no. And David's a bit unsure about Jonathan, even, right? You look at verse eight. But if there's guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? Jonathan, what are you here for? Are you still on your dad's team or are you on my team? He's questioning the relationship. Aren't relationships with people so hard? There's always like questions, aren't there? I always kind of wonder, like, where are we at? I read this fascinating study on junior high boys. And junior high boys, if you've been around them, (laughs) they're always insulting each other. Have you noticed that? Like the way that they greet each other is usually an insult. Hey, what's up, jerk? Oh, not much, moron, right? That's like, that's the way they talk to each other. And it's, it's just the way, junior boy, that's how they relate. And so this psychologist wanted to figure out like what in the world is going on with that? Here's what they found out. When junior high boys, when they do that to each other, insult each other, they're testing how strong the relationship is. Because if the relationship is strong, you can greet your buddy by like punching him and saying, hey, moron. And he's like, hey, what's up, jerk? But if your buddy has a little ought in his heart toward you and you say the same thing, hey, what's up, moron? And he's like, dude, shut up, man. And you know, right then, oh. It's a way that they're constantly testing, is our relationship strong? And they do it by insult. Like, that fascinated me. Like, junior high kids have culture? Like, what in the world? I thought they were just savages, man. They seem like savages to me. <laughs> and it doesn't stop, Right? Relationships are tough. I sent this to staff a while back. Maybe if I can find it. Oh, man, this was the best thing in the world. Well, I'll have to do it from memory. So I sent this to staff, and it was, it's, it's, here's the gist of it. It's men insult each other, but they don't mean it. Women compliment each other, but they don't mean it. So women, oh, that dress looks so good on you, but they don't mean it. Men, you're an idiot, but they don't mean it. How interesting is that? I think it's really true. Like relationships are tough. And David right now is unsure of his relationship with his best friend. Like, are you here as an agent to help me or are you here as an agent to betray me? So what is it? So here is the definitive move of friendship. And Jonathan said to David, Yahweh, God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if, it is well, if he is well disposed toward David, then shall I not sin and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, Yahweh, do to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May Yahweh be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of Yahweh that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when Yahweh cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may Yahweh take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him that he loved him as he loved his own soul. Friendship. So Jonathan says this, I'm going to risk everything for you. David, here's my proof of my friendship. You're banished from the kingdom. There's a price on your head. Assassins are being sent down to kill you. I'm going to risk everything. As the next king, I'm going to risk everything I have for you. I love that. A true friend walks in when the rest of the world walks out. That's what Jonathan is right now for David. Doesn't matter. I'll spend everything I have on you. There's a coach, his name is Pepper Rogers. He's a big NFL coach from yesteryear. Uh, And he got fired from one of his jobs. And he came home and he's in his living room and He's petting his dog and he's talking to his wife. And he said to his wife, The only friend I have is this dog. And a man really needs two friends. So he said, So my wife went out and bought me another dog. <laughs> <laughs> the world walked out on him. <laughs> Jonathan is one of the most loyal characters you see in scripture, loyal to a fault. Are we in loyal people anymore? Is loyalty part of like the culture of America where we say, here's some of the real fundamentals that define what it means to be American? Is one of them loyalty? Doesn't seem like it anymore. We unfriend people, we fire people, we get upset, we discard them, we change churches, we change jobs, we change everything, right? We change our favorite team. Like now, everybody's favorite team is the LA Rams. I'm like, what? Come on, man. No, man, I've always loved the Rams. Well, you got that Tampa Bay Bucks shirt in your back pocket still, man. What are you talking about? Like, be loyal. Tell people, stick with your loser team. I've been doing it for 35 years. Come on. That's godly. I'll tell you what. That is godly. (laughs) I'll be dead before they win, all right? And I'm fine with that. Loyalty. (laughs) Sadly... Children learn more loyalty from their dogs than they do from their dads nowadays. Let's be a loyal people. Stick with them. When the world walks out, you walk back in. Maybe you know someone right now that's going through difficulty. The world's walked out on them. They've blown it. Maybe they've made mistakes. Maybe they've done stupid things. You be the friend. You walk in. Isn't that what Jesus has done for each one of us? He's the friend, right? Right? So they set up this thing, okay, what's the signal? Here it is, verse 18. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is a new moon and you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as, I, as though I shot it at Mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you will know to come, for Yahweh lives. It is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for Yahweh has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, Yahweh is between you and me forever. Here's the code. There's no Twitter, there's no DMing, there's no texting, there's no cell phone. So they gotta figure out a way to communicate this. And Jonathan realizes someone might follow me, a spy might follow me out here because this could go down bad. So they had this code where he's like, hey, if I shoot an arrow and I say to the boy, hey, it's close, it's on this side of you, David, then you know you can come out it safe. But if I shoot an arrow and I say to the boy, hey, it's beyond you. It's long, start running, because things are bad. So it's all set up. Here's what happens. So David, verse 24, hid himself in the field. And When the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. And the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is not clean, surely he is not clean. On festival days, you had to be clean. Then there's all kinds of laws about what it meant to be clean. But the following day, it's not a festival day. So it didn't matter if you're clean or not unclean. So he's like, okay. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, not a holy day, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse, he can't even say his name. Like he hates him so much. He can't. Do you know people like that? That man, even the mention of their name kind of like makes the hair on your neck stand up and you're like, okay, that's where it's at with him. He can't even say his name, the son of Jesse. Come to the meal. Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now I have found, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers for this reason he has not come to the king's table. I just call this the gamble. Let's see what happens here. We're rolling the dice with Saul. And Jonathan tells a big, fat lie. And it's sad to me. Because I wonder if Jonathan had just been honest with his dad. Hey, son, why isn't David here? Well, David's not here, dad, because he's afraid of you. Because you tried to pin him to the wall twice with a spear. Because you sent assassin after assassin after assassin to kill him, and then you tried to kill him. Because you sent people, when he's sleeping in his bed at night, with your daughter, you tried to get him out of his bed and bring the whole bed up to you so you could kill him. So he is afraid of you, dad. That's why he's not here. Right? I don't know how that could go bad. That seems like a much better reason to say something. He doesn't. He lies. Here's what I know. Crazy people make other people crazy. Do you know that? Crazy people make other people crazy. When a dad is in a home and he is being crazy, the kids act crazy. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they fight. So Micah, his daughter, lies. My kid's daughter has idols. My kid's daughter blames. Why? Because her dad's crazy. Jonathan, this great, noble young man, crazy. Dads don't be crazy. Crazy people make people crazy. That's just what happens. And you're seeing that in this crazy dad's life. And if you say, "I'm kind of crazy, get help, man. Get help. Get in a group. We got Revive. Meets here Thursday at six o'clock. Jump in. We got 423. Jump in one of those. Talk to a pastor. Read your Bible. Pray. But don't be crazy. Because crazy people make people crazy. And that's why Jonathan, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, feels like he has to lie to his own dad. It's a warning. Don't be crazy. So how does... Saul, the king, take it. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. You do not want to know what that means in the (laughs) Hebrew. It's exactly what you think it means. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as a son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Here's the answer. His dad definitely wants David dead. And he's just insulting, right? Jonathan, you're screwed up because you're mom. Parents, you ever do that? You ever talk to your spouse and wonder, like, what's wrong with my kid? Is it your side of the family or is it my side of the family? Why are they this way, right? So Saul's pretty convinced right here. Whatever problem there is with Jonathan definitely didn't come from his side of the family, it came from mom's side of the family. You're screwed up because of her. And he's just, he's in madness. And he's in madness because ultimately he knows this. He's fighting God. Chapter 15, if you remember, Samuel told Saul, the kingdom's been taken from you and given to another man. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to kill the other man. He's ultimately going mad because he's fighting God. He's like, no, that's not gonna happen. I will murder my way out of God's will. Okay, that's gonna drive you crazy. It's driving him crazy. He's crazed with jealousy and anger and he is afraid of David. And all of it is just making him so that he tries to kill his own son. A great good man. And he uses shame and guilt and greed to try to manipulate his son. Shame, right? You've chosen the son of Jesse to your own Shame. You've shamed your mom. Your mom would be ashamed of what you've done. And then greed. You're not going to get the kingdom. You keep going down this road, you are going to miss out on the kingdom. Bad dads try to manipulate their sons with shame and guilt and greed. There's nothing in here like, "Hey son, you know you got to do what's right. You got to do what's godly. You got to do what's pleasing. Listen to God's word." None of that in here. It's shame. It's guilt and it's greed. It's a man undone. And Jonathan just simply steps back and he says, verse thirty-two, calmly, quietly, um, Dad, what should he be put to death for? You're God's agent right now, upholding God's law. What law has David broke that he deserves capital punishment? And how does his dad respond? Picks up a spear and throws it at him. And I'm sure Jonathan got the point. Gotcha. I love that. Just simply, hey, what law here? Do you think your house is dysfunctional? This is a dysfunctional house right here. Major. And I'll tell you, there's sin, the more I know people, the more I know this, there is sin in every single tent. Just certain places are better at keeping the flaps shut. There's dysfunction. We'll see, even in David's house, there's gonna be dysfunction in his home. And you may say, I kind of feel like Saul, to be honest. I kind of feel like sometimes I'm just going mad, fighting God's will, I'm losing, what do I do? The Bible says this, how shall a young man, I'll say, how shall any man cleanse his ways? Psalm 191. By taking heed to God's word. Start reading God's word. I don't remember any of it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It still cleans you up. I don't remember what I ate yesterday, but it did something to me, (laughs) right? That's what God's word is. It just starts to clean you up, right? You memorize Philippians 4, 8. Think on these things. True, pure, noble, just, Excellent, commendable, praiseworthy. I gave you an acronym for it. The Jessel Selp. It's easy. <laughs> That's what you do. You clinch. I don't want to think about that. That is not excellent. That's not praiseworthy. I'm not gonna let that sink into my head. Number two, just sing praise songs. What was David doing to calm the evil spirit in Saul? praise music. You read 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat is told, hey, you got this massive army. It's going to kill you. It's going to take you out. And and Jehoshaphat's like, God, what do I do? And what does God say? Send out the praise band. He's like, what? Yep, send them out. He's like, okay. Mark's got set. Head on out with your guitar. Good luck with that. (laughs) And what happens? The enemy goes crazy and tears itself apart. And you just start singing spiritual songs. The New Testament actually commands that of us. Read Ephesians, read Colossians. Just praise. And then listen to your Jonathans. Every one of us has somebody sane around us that's like, time out. Why are we trying to kill him again? Time out. Listen to those people. All right, you're right. I'm nuts. You're right. Listen to your Jonathans. Okay, so how does this end? Verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called out to the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry up, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master But the boy knew nothing, only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of Yahweh, saying, Yahweh shall be between you and me and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. You have the pledge. Jonathan does his arrow things, tells the boy it's beyond you. The boy comes back, and then notice this. The boy knows nothing. He's protected, And then Jonathan hands all of his weapons to the boy and says, take him into the city. Now, why did he do that? He was showing something to David, right? He's not sitting there with his weapons going, yeah, come on out, David. Where David's like, bro, whose side are you on? What happened when you went to the castle? What happened when you went to the king? Did he turn you? Did did you get flipped on me? He makes sure, gives the weapons to the boy. I'm unarmed. How kind of Jonathan is that? How considerate of Jonathan to make sure David feels absolutely comfortable coming out. You know what that's called? It's called empathy. I'm gonna leave all the stress that you might have, all the worry, all the questions you have. Here, the weapons are gone. I love that. Do you know that humans are naturally supposed to be empathetic creatures? You know there's proof for that? When someone yawns, what do you do? you know what that is? Hey, I hear you. I'm tired too, man. It's, it's subconscious. Do you know the only people that don't yawn when other people yawn? Psychopaths. (laughs) Saul's with spears. That's who you run away from them. Get away. (laughs) He's a psychopath. (laughs) We're supposed to be a people full of empathy doing everything that we can to alleviate other people's worry and stress. That's what Jonathan does. And so they make this pledge, and they kiss, and they cry. And modern readers read this, and all of them, like any progressive person, like, they were homosexuals. Now <laughs> right, You read them like, they're gay, yep. You know why we think that way? because we are so sexualized culture, that's why. So now we read everything through a 21st century American culture that is everything's about sex, right? We know it, it's in everything, right? You go get a hunting magazine and you'll like be reading it. It'll be like, hey, how to get your woman in the, in the blind with you. How to bag a winner. You're like, what in the world? I just wanna know how to hunt a deer. It's everywhere. So then, then we read into ancient books, the same kind of thing. It's nonsense, it's stupid. These are two men that had an incredible friendship. And it's beautiful, and it's right, and it's godly. And it's something that every single man wants, a deep relationship with other men. It's what we are created for, right? The two commands of God, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love each other, love your neighbor as yourself. It's what we actually want. So they make this pledge. We'll take care of each other's families. No matter what happens to us, We will care for one another's family. And out of this comes the story of Mephibosheth. Perhaps you know it. His name literally means either bad breath or weak breath, either one. And he's a cripple and David goes and finds him and he becomes someone that sits at the king's table for his entire life because David keeps his word. So three quick things and then we're done. Take care of your emotions. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's right. Right? David did not question his emotions. If I'm angry, I'm going to throw a spear. If I'm jealous, I'm going to act on it. And there's this stupid idea now that all of us are supposed to act authentically, however we feel in the moment. That's ridiculous. That's a spinning compass. You'll never know which way you're going. No way. You're supposed to question your emotions and be like, is this right Right? Well, you know, I feel like I'm in love with my neighbor's wife. Dude, stop it. Right? That's not right. Stop it. You take care of your emotions or you'll be crazy like Saul because you just spin. There is a true north. There is truth. We set our compass to true north and that's what we follow. Number two, David never lashed out. You notice that? I think he knew Deuteronomy 32, 35 that says this, vengeance is mine, I'll recompense. So he just trusted God, okay God, I'll try to reconcile the best that I can, if I can't, all right, I'm out, I trust you, I trust you God that you'll repay it. You're either going to go throughout your whole life trying to put out all these fires and people saying stuff about you, or here's the other way. I say this to people all the time, that have these problems. I say, you know what? Just outlive them. And you can literally outlive them. Like Linus Pauling is my favorite example of this. He's the guy that said, you should be taking 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C every single day. He said this in the 1950s. Everyone laughed at him. And then they had an interview when he was 96. And they asked him, where are all your critics? He said, they're all dead. (laughs) He outlived his critics, right? Right? But I mean, broader than that, I mean, just outlive them. Live a bigger life than them. Just show them, hey, I'm not worried about that. You can be all caught up in that and weird out about that. I'm gonna enjoy my life. I'm gonna enjoy my kids. I'm gonna enjoy the house I've been given. I'm just gonna outlive you. That's what David's gonna do. (laughs) Fine, I'm gonna outlive you. Literally and figuratively, I'm gonna outlive you. And then thirdly, Do we throw spears or play harps? If you evaluate yourself, are you a spear thrower or a harp player? Are you always pointing out the bad in other people and just throwing stuff at them? Or are we an encourager, someone that plays music, someone that blesses people, someone that calms people down? Are we harp players or spear throwers? Jesus, may we be being reformed by you even this evening. Learning from two giants of the faith, David and Jonathan, about ways that please you and lead to a shalom in life. Friendships, trust, keeping our word, checking our emotions, Being careful not to hurl things at people all the time. Rather plain, sweet, beautiful music in your ears. So may we go from here this night with hearts that are encouraged by scripture and may we go from this place tonight filled with the power of your spirit to actually live the way that we want to live. So fill us and send us out as missionaries into Grants Pass today. And I ask this in your name, Amen. amen. Amen.